Connor was helping me out there. Uh, that was my $2 that he was putting in there. And that may be the best $2 I've ever spent in my whole life. So I encourage you to do the same. Uh, I want to give you a heads up as to what's different and what you can expect today. Um, a lot of this is, you'll find on the front of your, your bulletin, your newsletter, and um, we're about halfway through this, and it has been fantastic. It's a good culmination of, what, of the blessings that we've had um, just over the last month at least with uh, guests who are speaking and sharing encouragement with us. Um, and uh, we want to thank all the folks who are here from, uh, uh, from Iglesia de Cristo and from the Lao congregation. Thank you for sharing with us. And we're going to share a meal together. I want to thank those who are here from Oklahoma and Falls Church, Virginia. And, um, and just so many of you who've come for this. And I was uh, speaking to some of you who said you were going to make this just an annual thing. We love to hear that. Um, it's going to be a good meal today. So after our worship concludes in here, uh, we're all going to go assemble in the gymnasium. It'll be right out that way. And um, three congregations have supplied the meal for today. Um, and I, I want to invite everybody. Don't, don't feel like you have to have something to come or, or just, just bring yourself. Bring yourself. Now, the other thing you'll find, uh, Rick mentioned this when he was talking about, the, um, uh, talking about his family in Honduras and what they're doing, you'll see these mission pledge cards. They might be in the pew around you. There's going to be some out there on those tables as you leave, and these will be available next week. But what we want you to do is we want you to take this, uh, talk to others, talk to your family, just pray about it, and ask yourself, what is it that you can give? Either as a one-time gift next week, on a quarterly, monthly, weekly basis, just whatever it is, but we want everyone to participate in the good works that you've been hearing about and you know what the need is. Um, next week, we will collect these. Uh, we will collect both pledges and a special contribution, so there will be two contributions next week. Uh, there are plenty of ways to give. You can give uh, here or you can give online. Um, this is where our uh, speaker today is going to help us think about why we do this. And our speaker today is Eric Trigestad. He is the editor of the Christian Chronicle. And uh, Eric, as you'll read on his bio here in the, um, in the newsletter, has been a participant in mission trips uh, uh, abroad and filed stories for the Chronicle from more than 65 nations. Uh, he's got a travel record that rivals Cure in some of our uh, groups here. But um, Eric definitely is someone who sees what God is doing around the world. But he comes to us as a uh, deacon at the Memorial Road Church of Christ. That's his church family. He uh, has been involved in campus ministry in Georgia. And um, I'm looking, I've, I've just met Eric today, but I've, I've read your articles, Eric, and uh, been encouraged by them. And so... Um, Eric, if you would, please, I'd ask you to come up here. I want to pray over you, and then I want to ask you to share the message with us. But we thank you for your presence and your ministry. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for Eric's willingness to be here and for his desire to serve you and serve your people around the world. Now I pray that you would bless him with a message, and I pray that you would bless us with listening ears so that we can take this to heart and not just be hearers of the word but doers as well. Father, be over everyone who's here today. 
And I pray that you would bless them in all of the ways that they strive to serve you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Such a pleasure to be with you. You've had a few minutes now to contemplate this question that's been on the screen, and it's one that I've encountered over my 17 years with the Christian Chronicle. Why do we do this? And particularly, why are we sending our funds across oceans when there is so much need in front of us? It's a question I've been confronted with many times, and I could give you several different answers to that question. Uh, I'm a deacon of the Memorial Road Church of Christ, and we send medical mission teams, including my wife, who's a pediatric endocrinologist, down to Guatemala with Health Talents International to do medical mission trips. Those trips inspired us to look at the needs in our own community and open a free clinic in downtown Oklahoma City. Missions crystallizes our vision and makes us more aware of the needs at our doorstep. And I think that's one of the great benefits of missions. That's not the one that I want to focus on today. I want to focus on one that's a little harder to explain, so I hope you'll bear with me. I think that the best benefit that we get from participating in missions locally, statewide, nationwide, and around the globe is that it changes our view of the other. And it changes the other into brother. Now, the other is a concept that all of us are familiar with. The other is the people that are not like us. The other is the people who live in a different part of the world, who believe differently from us, who may be living among us now, planning to subvert our very way of life. We must fear them. We must stay away from them, stay away from the other. And this has been used throughout history. Now, certainly there are threats to our faith, right? You look in the Old Testament, and that's what the children of Israel were told. Stay away from some of your neighbors. They are going to be a bad influence on you. Do not live your lives, your lives like the Canaanites that you see there, like the um, people of the, that worship the Asherah poles, things like that. So we certainly are aware of these threats. But at the same time, we find... Too often we're falling into this mentality of us and them, of the other. I've been keenly aware of this the last few days. You've probably seen these images. This is the migrant caravan that is making its way from Honduras up to the U.S.-Mexico border. I debated, brothers and sisters, whether I should even include this slide or this discussion because I know it is such a politically charged topic in our country. But it is the issue that is at our doorsteps and it is an issue that has been used by folks on both sides of the political spectrum over the last few weeks. These people are coming. They may be bringing drugs. There may be terrorists among them. We cannot let them into the country. We have to, to draw the line. And then we also see the other side of the spectrum saying, look at these people who don't want to be compassionate to these folks who are just looking for a new way of life. Don't vote for them. Stay away from them. We have become such a divided and divisive people over these kind of issues, but everybody is using the situation to manipulate their own viewpoint and not looking at these people as people, and that's one of my greatest concerns. It's of interest to me because I was actually down on the U.S.-Mexico border just a few months ago. This is uh, the border that leads into Reynosa, Mexico, from a town called McAllen, Texas. I don't know if any of you have been able to travel there before, but you can see the long line of people from Mexico waiting to legally enter the U.S., some of them just for, to, for the day to shop, to go back. But it's a very long line that formed on a Friday morning when I was down there. 
I was actually there to cover a couple of different stories. The gentleman there in the red t-shirt is working with a disaster relief group that was operating out of a little church there because they had had record flooding in the Rio Grande Valley down there in Texas earlier in the year and were responding to that. The other two gentlemen are from the Church of Christ North in Farr, P-H-A-R-R, Texas, a little town near McAllen. This small congregation, English-speaking, of about 70 members, has planted somewhere in the vicinity of 9 to 11 Iglesias de Cristo, Churches of Christ, among the impoverished colonias of South Texas. These are primarily Spanish-speaking communities. They go in, they show them Jesus' love. They've even taken over a preacher training school that uh, somebody had had to drop support of, and now they are training Spanish-speaking ministers to serve the Rio Grande Valley on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, Dale, the one in the white uh, shirt there, had said, well, come on down, I want you to see some of this work. This was at the height of these uh, parent-child separations that were going on. I wanted to see how the church was reacting to this. And he said, I want to take you across the border into Reynosa to see some of the work that's going on there. Now, Reynosa has a very bad reputation right now. It is a hub of gang activity. There have been a lot of the border violence you've probably heard about, and, of course, the smuggling operations are going on as well. I didn't worry, though, because I knew that Jesus was with us, and so was Jesus. This gentleman here named Jesus Gonzalez was a student at the preacher training school, and he told us about a ministry that he had kind of started. There were a lot of people coming up to the border in Reynosa, and they're not going across in the United States. They're just kind of hanging out there, wondering what to do. A lot of them are homeless. He said, I've been ministering to these people and trying to share Jesus with them and share food because a lot of them are hungry. So we said, let's go down and take a look at that work. While we were there, we visited some of the Iglesias de Cristo. There are about five or six of them in the Reynosa area and asked them about uh, the, the kind of uh, challenges to their ministry that they're facing right now. And it's a lot of the same problems that we have here in the United States. They talked about the fact that they're more keenly aware of the migrant crisis and they're trying to do what they can to help people in need. Uh, their church is really suffering from a lot of infidelity and a lot of divorces going on in their midst. And they're really trying to do more marriage counseling and things like that. Some of the husbands go away and work in far-flung regions for a long time. They're away from their wives. And there are all sorts of challenges to ministry there that really aren't the things that we think about. They're sometimes it's the day-to-day -day stuff. We start to learn more about these people, though. This is the whole process of them moving from other to brother, is going down there, talking to them, and seeing their needs. I also visited the church in Lampasitos, which is a small congregation. The minister there, that's him and his son, Mateo Dimas. He talked about the fact that the border violence has really kept away the mission teams from the U.S. that used to come to visit. But he was so overjoyed that they had recently received a team from our brothers and sisters at the Mablevale Church of Christ here in Arkansas, who had decided they were going to go down there and stay in the church building and be a part of what this church is doing. And he was so overjoyed to say, our brothers and sisters, they have not forgotten about us. We went on to this area called Lipstick, which you can guess how it has that reputation. That's a lot of uh, bad activities going on there. And this is where these migrants move up toward the edge of the uh, Mexico-U.S. border, and decide whether or not they're going to cross illegally. And a lot of them hang out around a Catholic Charities uh, Center, not far from there. We got some sandwiches out of the van, began to distribute them to some of the workers there. Some of them told me, we're from Honduras and we're going to the U.S. because we need jobs. They were honest and open about it. One woman really struck me, though, that was uh, interesting. Her name was Virginia Chavez. 
Turns out she's not even a migrant. She's from Mexico City. And she talked about the fact that she worked illegally in the United States for several years, raised four children in the United States. She worked any jobs that she could find in lawn care, as a nanny. She worked in a um, house cleaning business. Um, she was constantly under threat of being deported, and whenever she would complain about the low wages she was receiving, that's what her employer would say, I'm going to turn you into INS if you keep complaining about it. She finally got tired of it and turned herself in, from what she told me, and went back across the border. I really didn't know how much of her story to believe, but something that she said really touched my heart. She said, I know what you think of me, and I know what your country thinks of me. I, we have a bad reputation in your country. I just want you to know that while I was there in your country, I worked hard for the money I received, and I tried my best not to take anything from anybody and take anything away from your country. I worked hard. And then she said something that was translated to me from Spanish to English that just really floored me. She said, even dogs labor to eat. Wow. You know, the verse I was reminded of the, uh, in the Bible is from a, a story in the time of Jesus, his encounter with a Canaanite woman, the other of that day, right? We remember this story? This is from Matthew chapter 15, if you want to look it up here. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. Now listen to Jesus' reply. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Whoa! This isn't right. This verse bothers me to my core, and it came out of the mouth of my Lord and Savior. Almost more stunning than that is the woman's reply. Yes, it is, Lord, she says. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What do we do with this teaching? You know, theologians have, have grappled with these verses for years and have tried to kind of water down what Jesus is saying here. I even saw one commentary that said that the Greek word that he's using for dogs here actually refers to puppies that might have been kept by Roman children or Hebrew families at the time. So we're really not saying they're dogs. The, the puppies get the scraps from the table. That really doesn't help me at all with this story. What is Jesus saying here to this woman? Why would he say something that just sounds so offensive? One thing that I've been able to deduce from looking at the scriptures is that so often we focus on the wrong aspects of it. We're so focused on Christ and we're so focused on this Canaanite woman. It's weird that, that Matthew would even refer to her as a Canaanite woman. Some scholars say that uh, Canaanite was a generic term that wasn't even really in use at the time, but it was kind of evocative of those Old Testament passages about the Canaanites, the people you're supposed to stay away from. This was the other. This was the person the disciples were to stay away from. And who is the audience in this passage. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount. This is guys walking along in Tyre and Sidon. The disciples are the audience here, and they are the ones that have to learn what's going on. One thing that is very interesting to me is that if you look at the context of this verse, there have been some events leading up to this. Just the chapter before, in Matthew 14, we see the feeding of the 5,000. 
when the multitude comes to hear Jesus speak and then says what? Send them away. Just as they said with this Canaanite woman, send her away. Send them away, Jesus. There's no way we can feed all these people. And rather than saying, boom, manna from the sky, I am the Messiah, what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. They say, well, we don't really have much. We've got a few loaves and a couple of fish. And Jesus takes that humble offering and multiplies it. But it's so important that it come from the disciples. That's a missions uh, minute, that's a missions lesson right there for us, that God takes the humble offerings that we're going to give on Mission Sunday and multiplies them to such great effect. As we recall, there were even 12 basketfuls left over at the end of this feast. And what was it that the Canaanite woman was asking for? Scraps from the master's table. Well, we happen to have baskets and baskets and baskets of scraps. How about that? There's an incident right after that of Jesus walking on water and Peter kind of walking on water for a little bit until he turns his, his uh, eyes away from Jesus. And there's so many stories we tell about that. But one of the interesting things here is that as he is sinking, he cries out to Christ, Lord, save me. And some scholars have pointed out that this, this wordage is almost very similar to what the Canaanite woman says, Lord, help me, Lord, save me. The disciples themselves have cried out to Jesus in this same fashion when they take their eyes off of him. Then in the beginning of Matthew chapter 15, we have this discussion of the disciples not properly going through the cleansing rituals before they eat. And as you can see there, it's very offensive to the Pharisees. What's wrong with your disciples? And of course, Jesus gives this great teaching on that which defiles. It's really not the stuff you put into your mouth that defiles you, but it's the stuff that comes out of your mouth from your heart. Then we have the story of the Canaanite woman immediately following that, and that's followed up by yet another feeding of the 4,000. And I have to imagine with this second feeding, the disciples had to be a little bit like, oh no, we got all these people. What are we going to feed them, Jesus? What? You know, kind of interesting. Uh, they probably knew what was going to happen there. This is uh, something I found from a minister named John Leonard, and I think he kind of succinctly tells that we're too focused on the individuals of Christ and the Canaanite woman in this story, and we're not looking at what the lesson is there for the disciples. This passage shows us the disciples need a lot of work. And if you read the chapter thinking there's something wrong with Jesus, there's something wrong with this woman, and you don't see that the passage is really about your heart, the good news is that the blessings of God are not limited by our resources, but by a God who gives us all that we need when we need it. We will be people of faith, we will be people of compassion, like our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will reach out to all, knowing that we'll have everything we need when we do his work. That was a great statement. And the lesson here is to stop seeing this as the Canaanite woman, and this is a woman in need. And this is somebody that we know. It's amazing how Christ takes one message that society gives and completely transforms it, right? Who were some of the most hated people at the time of Christ? Some guys called the Samaritans. And Jesus tells this one story that is so earth-shattering that now, today, when we hear the word Samaritan, what is the first word that comes to our mind? Good. He changed the story. What was a symbol of Roman persecution? What was a symbol of what happens to criminals when they stand in defiance of Rome? What lined the cities? 
as people came into the occupied Roman territories. Folks on crosses. This is what happens when you cross Rome. You end up on a cross. Let this be a warning to you all and let these crosses be symbols that strike fear. And what is the cross today? Jesus transformed that image to a symbol of hope and peace throughout the world. Christ delights in taking our preconceived notions and then turning them on their ear. I want to share a few stories, seeing people as the other. I want to finish up with this one first. This is a, we had a prayer uh, for all of the, the folks that we gave sandwiches to, including Virginia, and just prayed that they would come into a relationship with Christ and that they would be able to survive and uh, then went on our way back to the United States. I want to tell you about another group of marginalized people, the other, in the country of Ethiopia. And this is a story you guys may actually know better than I do. But maybe about 50 years ago even, um, the deaf, those who could not hear, were viewed with disdain by their own countrymen. Similar to what Habtu said this morning about the girl with the club feet. They were saying maybe these were the uh, objects of demon possession or something like that. So when the missionaries from Churches of Christ came into Ethiopia, they were mandated by the government, you know what, we've got an Orthodox church already. You can't just come in here and preach. You've actually got to do something to serve the community here in Ethiopia. Now, how about that for a challenge, right? If you're going to come in here and preach Jesus, you've got to actually be Jesus. So the, Ethio- the, the missionaries looked around and said, who, who are the underserved? Who are the people that we can help? And they saw uh, the deaf. So they established the school of the deaf. The sign language used throughout the country of Ethiopia was developed by members of the Church of Christ. It's amazing to me. The Ethiopian government sends public officials to the Church of Christ compound in Addis Ababa to receive training in sign language. I'm absolutely blown away by that. And they reach out to people across different faith groups. We're going to be talking about Muslims here in just a minute. But one little side note that I have to share. If you don't know this story, you need to know it. When I was there in Addis Ababa a few years ago, I was with Baha'i Luwabebe, the, the minister, longtime uh, minister for the church there. And he took me to this odd-shaped church building on the campus. It's kind of a, a big metal triangle-looking thing. And he talked about the fact that during the 1980s, when there was a very bad famine in Ethiopia, the Churches of Christ and other groups got together and raised money. You might also remember there was a big concert on MTV about it. There was this uh, Live Aid concert that raised money for Africa. There was also a song that you still hear at Christmas time, Do They Know It's Christmas, that's sung by Bono and several European uh, rock groups. That was called Band-Aid. I think some of that money actually ended up in this container of food that ended up in Ethiopia. And the Church of Christ there in Addis Ababa was one of the ones that distributed that food out to the community. It came in a massive container. And so Bahailu told me that after the container was empty, we put it to another purpose. And I said, well, what was that purpose? What did you use the container for? And he said, you're standing in it. They transformed that container into their church building. Now, you got to love the analogy there, right? This vessel that was used to deliver life-saving food is now delivering the life-giving gospel of Christ. It's just one of my favorite stories. Uh, And I could go on and on about the good work in Ethiopia, but like I said, we got people here that can speak to it better than I can. 
They reach out to Christians and Muslims at the Makanisa School for the Deaf. And one of the things I'm really excited about is another marginalized people, another other that exists over in Europe right now. There have been protests against the migration policies of many of the European governments in places like Germany because all of these folks have flooded in from the Middle East and they're worried. They actually, there have been some attacks. There have been some problems. What do we do about that? I was blessed, brothers and sisters, to travel to Vienna, Austria, and to Athens, Greece, just in the past few weeks. I'm just now processing some of the, the video and the images that I got from that trip. You know, I began this job working for the Christian Chronicle one month before the events of 9-11. And if you had told me then that I would ever be in a situation where I was worshiping next to somebody from the Middle East, I would have said, that's never going to happen. And yet, I can't tell you the number of souls I encountered in places like Vienna. This was a special training session on the Lord's Supper for converts from Nigeria and from uh, the Middle East, especially Iran. And to be there and to be reading out of my English language Bible and the guy next to me is reading out of his Farsi language Bible was just absolutely amazing. They're going to have to start Farsi language services in Athens, Greece. They're having to translate. They're going to have to start doing that in Vienna. Uh, these people are coming to Christ in droves and they are hungry for the gospel. There's some underlying passages that I saw. It doesn't just... It's not just window dressing. It means something to them because adopting this faith is life-threatening to them. They leave their families. They're shunned for putting down the Quran and picking up the Bible. But that's exactly what they're doing. I got to go to a Bible study with a group in Athens, and this lady showed me. Uh, she was on her phone constantly trying to type in words in Farsi that she could show me in English and just really wanted to share her story of how a mission group from the U.S. had come and given her this little pearl and gave her the story of the pearl of great price. And it, it took a long time to get all the details down, but boy, she was absolutely intense. I'm going to share with you what has been done for me as a child of Christ. And they live in poverty, some of these guys. They live in refugee camps. Some of the problems from the Middle East have come over with them, but they stay true to their vision. I could tell you all kinds of stories. I could tell you about the trip to Thailand I took a few years ago. This is a shrine where they're uh, a Buddhist shrine, I think, uh, in the middle of downtown Bangkok. Uh, they were offering prayers and incense. That one lady is actually in the middle of texting on her phone while she was bowing down there. I thought that was a kind of interesting story. But what's going on in Bangkok, Thailand with refugees? This is a mission couple, Gary and Michelle Ford, that just opened a coffee house over there. They were... Uh, working with refugees from Pakistan. Many of them had started to adopt Christianity and were run out of their own country. They come over to Bangkok on tourist visas and they apply for refugee status. But while they are waiting for that refugee status to be verified, their tourist visa runs out and they are living there illegally. The Thai government doesn't recognize this and they are in danger of arrest at every turn, at every corner. This was a middle-class family. And Gulshan, the wife, said words that still cut me to my core about how thankful she was for the experience that they were going through. So we couldn't get our kids to eat their vegetables back in Pakistan, and now I can't afford vegetables anymore. But I'm so thankful for this experience. And I said, how can you be thankful for something like that? She said, because this experience has made me aware of my utter reliance on God. She talked about going to the doctor because her kids are sick. 
not knowing if she's going to be arrested on the way because she's there illegally and not knowing how she's going to pay for it. But she takes her kids to the doctor. And when she gets to the doctor's office, there's a Thai man sitting next to her. And without even knowing her story, he takes money out of his wallet and hands it to her to pay for her kid's doctor visit. And there were just innumerable stories like that have happened in her life. And that is why she says, I praise God for stripping away all the stuff that was keeping me from him and making me realize my utter reliance on him. She's not an other to me anymore. She's Golshan. She's my sister in Christ. And her faith dwarfs my own. I'm going to end with a story that's kind of related to this when we talk about other people, but it's one of those stories that I really found encouraging. It's from the island of Vanuatu. Now, this may be a place that I would have to break out a map and show you. If you go north from New Zealand, these are Polynesian islands, small little group of islands, uh, and there are some missionaries working there that I visited with just a few years ago. They meet in simple church buildings. This one was actually knocked over by a typhoon, and they just basically stood it back up to recover from the, the typhoon. Uh, very simple people. They meet in small churches around the islands there, and I was visiting some of them, trying to get them to talk for a story for the Christian Chronicle, and I couldn't get them to say much of anything to me. They were really being quiet and reserved, more so than usual. And finally, the missionary told me, they really don't understand why you're here. They, this doesn't make any sense to them. They don't understand why you flew all the way across an ocean to come and, and talk to them. They're on islands that most people can't find on a map, and there's only about 12 of them in this church. So you're wanting to know their story, and they don't understand why. Now, I was supposed to preach to these folks the next day. So I said, what survey illustration can I find that shows that these folks matter to God? We were driving around the island, and I actually found uh, the perfect thing. God revealed to me, perhaps, the perfect thing. Uh, and I talked to them about this the next day. As we were on the south part of the island of Afate, we were driving by and saw, this is a church service, by the way. They all take their shoes off before they get on the mat. And I liked all of the imagery of the sandals there. Um, as we were driving by off the side of a road, there were these big piles of dirt. They'd been there for a while. They had grass growing in them, and they really didn't seem to mean that much to me. I didn't really think they were of any real importance. I didn't understand what they were for. But then the missionary explained to me exactly what they were. From my eye level, yeah, they just looked like mounds of dirt. But if you go from up above and look down on those mounds of dirt, they actually spell out the letters U-S-A. And right across from them is an old airstrip that was used by our pilots during World War II, the campaign in the Pacific. They flew planes off the island of Vanuatu. And those letters told them that this was a safe place to land. In the same way, when we're looking at our eye level, when we're looking at the other, we don't really see the purpose. But from up above, God sees a great purpose in people that really don't think much of themselves. And people that think that their humble missions contributions really can't mean all that much. God's vantage point is from above. And he sees that these things that seem useless to us actually have great value. Those are just a few of the takeaways that I've been able to, to glean from my years at the Christian Chronicle. I still have a lot to learn. And I uh, hope to have the, the chance to continue to do that. I appreciate so much those of you who read our stories and are supportive of our ministry. Print media is a dying art form, obviously. We are online, too, but we are so thankful that we have so many dedicated readers. 
that, uh, that do what we do. And I hope that's been a, been a beneficial lesson to you. What we want to do right now is offer an invitation. Are there any of you that need prayers from this congregation? Are there any of you that have not uh, been baptized yet and think that maybe is today is the day to give your life over to Christ, to join him in that watery grave of baptism? Uh, we offer you the chance to come forward. We'll have elders from this congregation available to talk to you and take your prayer requests. And if you feel moved to do that, let's do that now as we stand and sing.